I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's not an easy skill to learn. I've been practicing it for many years. Welcome back to episode 53 of the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. Uh, Just a few show notes before we start the podcast. Uh, Today on the podcast, we're going to listen to a talk by a former Buddhist monk, an inspirational speaker, and a lifestyle vlogger, consultant, a guy wears many hats, his name is Jay Shetty. And this is the first time I heard him earlier today, but the guy's the real deal, you know. So we're going to get into him, but I want to go over a few show notes before we start. Like I said, I'm really enjoying uh, enjoying this podcasting, and it's giving me a lot, and hopefully, you you know, you're also getting something out of it. So feedback is definitely appreciated. You know, I'm learning this podcasting process, and I'm trying different formats and I believe in fluidity and flexibility and that I, I firmly against stagnation and repetitiveness. Um, but, you know, you want to find that middle way where, you know, you have a consistency in, in, in the show. So I've experimented with, you know, longer introductions with the longer music, which I think gets repetitive over time. And in some some shows, the more recent ones, I kind of get start with the dialogue, the intro, like that punch. And then my... Uh, my view of it or my input and then I roll into the show and just just curious because you know I do speak you know on the podcast not not through the whole thing but I usually give my eight minutes of dialogue or whatever it is sometimes more sometimes less but you know give me some feedback if you want me to speak more and put more input if you guys would like you know episodes where I just kind of speak which I'm probably going to do in the near future I'm going to probably just put out some podcasts where I just speak myself and give my views which I've done a lot on some of the earlier podcasts and yeah I'm just looking to see you know if you if you like the music give me some feedback if you like it on the intro if you don't like it and what you think another thing I opened up a subreddit which is uh, on the show notes if you go to my website which is alpha male buddhist.podbean.com that's my website, and you have links there to the iTunes and, you know, to, to my subreddit and everything. You know, it's all on there. But it would be nice if we can get some activity in that subreddit for, for listeners can leave some feedback, some dialogue where you could share. Because I do have some good speakers on it, and some really good topics, and I am getting some good listens. And actually, I found that in some instances, I might have uh, an individual... But I'll see like somebody in Peru or somebody in some country, they'll listen to 15 to 20 straight episodes, which it's really, really interesting. And it's great. It it gives me, uh, it's a great feedback loop and it gives me some gratification that somebody's enjoying the work that I put in. But yeah, I'd like to get the subreddit going. So hop in there. It's, let me, uh, it's in, it's in the show, but let me give you the exact subreddit here it's um the subreddit is reddit.com forward slash r forward slash alpha male buddhist and i do give it at the end 
the, the subreddit. But I'd like to see some activity in there where, um, you know, we could share opinions and feedback on the show. Like I said, I have some good speakers and good topics. So it'd be, it'd be a nice thing to have where like-minded people can have a dialogue. Uh, as you know from uh, my shows that I put out, I'm pretty eclectic and I'm pretty diverse in the things that I listen to. And I believe that that's an absolute strength because you, you, you must be diverse in your thinking and your disciplines and on your views of life. Because every uh, everyone has something to say and, you know, what I tend to do is I'm an aggregator. In other words, I go out and I look for some of the better speakers on certain topics and some of the better better speeches on certain topics or shows or, you know, interviews. And I, and I, you know, I try to put that out there. I try to put, you know, good content out there because, you know, by listening to the best, you know, it, it really edifies you and it kind of, kind of benefits you in the diversity of your thinking and, and, and your intelligence, actually, your aptitude, your, your, your IQ, and just your ability to assimilate. So we got the subreddit. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess that kind of wraps it up. This, this speaker, like I said, Jay Shetty is pretty good. And it's interesting, he brings up something that I have always said, and, I, and I, I'm guessing I was, you know, I said it to myself, but I guess maybe this is something out there, but whenever I give advice to people on life, and direction, and what they're going to do, and where they're going to put their effort, and how to be fulfilled, self-realized and fulfilled, I say there's three main things in life, and the three main things in life is what is your passion, what are you good at, and can you get paid doing it? So if your passion is video games, and number two, you're good at video games, highly unlikely you're going to get paid for playing video games, unless if you're, you know, some crazy-ass gamer, which 0.005% of the population is. Anyway, I digress. So, you know, you want to know what your passion is that you can get paid for and that you're good at. And if you're able to find that, you'll never work another, another day in your life. Jay Shetty basically brings up the same point except he has four and you know what is your passion what are you good at hopefully those are the same things can you get paid doing it and can it benefit the world and other people so he added that fourth dynamic and and i like that so we're gonna get into this uh jay shetty and uh yeah let's get into it man the greatest power is to be self-controlled. To be able to train the mind and energy to focus it exactly where you want it and when you want it to be. You are completely detached and undeterred from external ups and downs. You're able to navigate anything that seems tough, challenging, fun, excitement with the same amount of being equipoised and balanced and equanimity without being too excited in pleasure or being too depressed in pain. But knowing how to navigate every situation, to me that's great strength and great power.
What people don't know about me is that I was suspended from school three times for trying out all sorts of things, like things that people would never imagine of someone who goes on to be a monk. I was experimenting with all the drugs in the world. I had multiple relationships. I was really trying to search for some sort of meaning, fulfillment, and as for as long as I've known, I've been chasing thrill. Mm. I really value thrill. And feeling like I did my, not see that coming. Yeah, no, not many people do. It's it's very different. From 14 to 18, I was like this kid who just wanted to try new things out. And my parents' rhetoric would always be, "Well, make sure you get good grades." And I used to think, "Well, if I can be bad and get good grades, then then it all works, right? Everyone's happy." So that's that's kind of what I did. And at 18, I was really fortunate when I met a monk, and this monk was invited to speak. And I kind of just went because one of my friends forced me to. At that time, I was listening to CEOs and entrepreneurs and business people and marketers who, who I thought that's what I was aspiring to be like. And then I hear this monk, and he captivated me like no one had ever captivated me before. It was like staring at the most beautiful woman on the planet. You know, I was completely fixated on him and his message. And that is the beginning. Without me going into too much detail before we probe. That was the beginning of what changed me, because I went from being someone who did only want all those things to become successful, and trying to, but I started hearing my own inner voice much more in all that noise that I had around me. I remember one of my my parents had a maths tutor for me because they wanted to be amazing at maths, and I was I was pretty good at numbers, and I'd have this tutor, and he'd tell me that he goes, the reason that you're struggling with the next question. Is because you're always worried about what your parents think, and and that really stayed in my head. I was just like, wow. So as long as I'm trapped by what my parents think, I can actually never find the answers to the real questions of life. And there are all these little things happening. I lost two great friends when I was 16. One girl died in a car accident. One guy died because he was involved in drugs and violence. That that made me rethink everything. I just thought to myself, wait a minute. These were beautiful people, people that I loved. People that, in my opinion, were good people, and I just lost them in a moment. And it was kind of like this collation of little things that just made me think: Wait a minute, having money, having fame, this—that just doesn't seem to add up. And then, and then meeting the monk kind of made that shift possible. And as I said, he was completely captivating. And then I found out that he'd given up jobs in Google and Microsoft to be a monk. And I thought to myself, who does that? You know, he's given up everything that I'm chasing. And that all my friends are chasing, but he seems happier than anyone I've ever met before. And he spoke about this incredible principle where he said that we should plant trees under whose shade we do not plan to sit. And he was speaking about this principle of selfless sacrifice, and that kind of just penetrated me right there when he said the words selfless sacrifice. For the first time in my life, I felt a thrill about something that I'd never felt before. I thought, wow. Giving up everything you have for the service of others sounds like the best thing you could possibly do. And I don't know why I had that thought because I wasn't a spiritual kid growing up. I wasn't a religious kid growing up. I wasn't even a good kid growing up. I was just a rebel, a misfit, trying things out, an experimenter, which I still consider myself. And so what I started to do is I was interning. At companies and firms and corporates, thinking I was getting a grad job afterwards, and then I'd spend the rest of my summer holidays interning in India, living with him as a monk. So I'd use all my summer and Christmas holidays to just be out there with the monks. And he introduced me to another 200 to 500 monks that were just like him, just as smart, 
just as bright, giving up everything they had and using all their skills to make the world a better place. I believe the moment was I was I've always had friends who are older than me. And I could see a lot of them in the most successful careers, successful jobs, beautiful partners, whatever it was, but I saw a sense of lack of fulfillment, meaning and purpose in their lives. And I've always been an observer and I would see these people who are like 5 years older than me, 7 years older than me, maybe 10 years older than me. And I'd be watching them and go, is that the life I want? And often the advice I give to people today is fast forward where you are. look at yourself in 10 15 20 years time and ask yourself the question is that where i want to be if you're in a company look at the person who's 20 years ahead of you and ask yourself is that where i want to be if you're in a startup look at where other startups have got to in similar roles and go is that where i want to be and if the answer is no then you need to find a new path and for me the answer at that time from observing was no the path that my parents or society or the university I went to or the community I had that was carving out for me it didn't feel like the path for me so I was almost seeking an alternative or a new path I was just so fortunate that it happened to be an uplifting powerful path as opposed to something that could have actually taken me down the wrong road because that could have been possible too So we wake up. He's he's like one of the most elite monks. So we're waking up at like 2 a.m. every day after sleeping at like 9 or 10 p.m. And then we study these ancient Vedas, which are 5,000 plus years old, together. And we spend two hours. And I'm studying with the best of the best here, so he can like analyze and assimilate. And I'm learning fast, taking notes. Then 4 a.m. we go to collective meditation. We do those practices with the other monks as well. 6 a.m. We have personal meditation. So I'm literally going through the life of a monk and falling in love with it step by step. Going, wow, I've never had this experience before. But I just threw myself in, and I was practicing it to the T. Right? It wasn't like, oh no, my back hurts when I sit on the floor. I can't stay here for too long. Or, you know, today when people are like, oh, I can't meditate for longer than two minutes. I was like, no, I'm going to do it for two hours. If that's what they're doing, I'm going to give it a go. Because I can only test the hypothesis will only be true if the experiment is carried out to the degree that they are. So if the hypothesis is if you live like this, you'll be happy, more fulfilled. Then I want to do that. I think even one step before that. is is opening yourself up to new role models and new experiences. See, we live in echo chambers. We're just surrounded by the same thinking. How often do you bump into a monk? You know, it just doesn't happen. You don't have no one has a dinner party and goes, "Oh yeah, we just invited the monk, you know, from town, like the local monk." Like no one ever does that. And so we meet people who are just like us most of the time. And we talk about this in business all the time. If you want to be a billionaire, spend time with billionaires. If you want to be a millionaire, spend time with millionaires. If you want to be a tech startup, spend time with, you know, that's that's the common rhetoric that we hear all the time. But what if you want to find purpose and master the mind? There's no one better than a monk who's mastered the mind. So so for me the first step is just opening yourself up to new experiences and new role models. Because most of us can't see ourselves in people so then we try and fit ourselves into the boxes that we do see and and i mean there's this beautiful quote that i i've been saying it everywhere and i wish i wrote it but i didn't so it's by a philosopher and writer named kuli and he said that today i'm not what i think i am i'm not what you think i am i am what i think you think i am 
right? And just let that blow your mind for a moment. It's, uh, it's so powerful. I'm not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. So we live in this perception of a perception of ourselves. Hence, my identity is made by what my parents think I should be. My identity is made up by what my college or university thinks I should achieve. While you're living in that bubble and that echo chamber, getting to what you really want to do is impossible because maybe that just doesn't fit. And I think so many people feel that way today that they don't fit into the current education system. They don't fit with the three or four or five careers that you're taught exist. So that process of self-excavation and actualization first requires being exposed. You can't be what you can't see. If I never saw a monk, I would never have wanted to be a monk. If I never meet a billionaire, I wouldn't want to be one because I wouldn't know what that feels like. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it takes. And, and I think that's the biggest challenge of our society, that we're not exposed. So that's the first step, being exposed to unique experiences and role models. Second step is finding that experience or role model that you're passionate about. And exactly like you said, taking it seriously, shadow them, network with them, spend time with them, observe them, even from afar. It takes that observation, being addicted to observing that person's lifestyle. And then the third step is going yes or no. Does that work for me? Not everyone who's going to go off and become a monk is going to feel like the way I did. And that's cool. But not everyone is going to go and follow and shadow a billionaire and go, that's exactly the lifestyle I want. They may want the result, but do they want the hard work that goes with it? And so for me, that's the third step. It's observing, focusing, shadowing, getting as close to the process of that individual and then going yes or no. Do I want that process? Not do I want the result? Everyone wants to be that monk who's fully enlightened, you know, can walk through, has an incredible aura that people just gravitate towards. But when you realize he has to wake up at 2 a.m. every day and sleeps about four to six hours, you're like, ah, you know, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like me. It's, it's more like a training system than it is a lifelong commitment. It is bringing that mindset into the real world where you get to test it. Now, I got to do that for real when I left being a monk around five years ago. And when I left, it was like, oh my God, I'm in the real world now again, real world. I have to think about how to apply all this. I'm gonna test for real all this stuff that I've learned. And I was scared, like I was nervous, I was anxious and all those things that I've been trained not to be rushed back. Because for the first time in my life, I had to really put it into practice. And I love that feeling. I'm so glad that I had to do that. So for me, actually, the mindset is completely trainable to bring into the real world. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. And, and what it allows you to do is it allows you to gain clarity and perspective when you need it. Because you know when you can just take a bird's eye view from something. You know when you need to get close into something. You know when you need to pull back from something. There's a beautiful verse in the Bhagavad Gita that says that detachment is not that you own nothing. Detachment is that nothing owns you. And, and I love it because to me that summarizes detachment in a way that it's not usually explained. Usually people see detachment as being away from everything. Mm. Actually the greatest detachment is being close to everything and not letting it consume and own you. And that's real power. That's real strength. How many people do we know that have had fame and then that fame has ruined them? So for me, that definition of detachment 
is possible to practice even in the real world, rather than saying, oh, I'm just gonna have a really simple life, I'm just gonna have nothing in life. The best part about being a monk is that your morning routine and practices are so powerful that you can actually aspire for more incredible values in life. Because your mind is clear. Because your mind is clear. And you have that ability to have more clarity so you can seek that which is, which is higher. So I'll give an example of what I mean. Define, yeah. is that what you're about to define? Yeah. What is higher? Yes, exactly. So for me, being able to overcome ego, being able to overcome envy, being able to overcome jealousy, being able, able to overcome the negative of competitive state. There's a positive competitive state and there's a negative competitive state. Today, when people are looking on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, all you're looking at is, oh, she got that many likes or he got that many likes. She got engaged or he got married or, oh my God, look at her body or look at that. And it's like, that stuff's destroying us inside. Envy, jealousy, ego, greed. To be able to have enough clarity to purify yourself of those things is gonna alleviate the, the biggest anxieties and depressions of our time and mental health problems. And, and we know that, we know that because all the mental health research today suggests that things like isolation, overexposure, we now can have more pain consumption in one day because of what we're exposed to than the pain we would have had in a lifetime. That's huge. Like that, that's ridiculous to think that in one day, because of the media, news and social media, we consume more negative than we did in a lifetime. For me, being able to have time, energy and clarity to focus on self-purification, that is the best thing about being a monk. Because you have that time, reflection and a process and an environment that only allows you to become more purified of those things. So in an ideal life for me is a life, and this applies to a company, an organization, an institution for me, is an ideal life is when we all have a head, a heart, and a hand, all three elements together, working in alignment. Without one or the other, we start to lose something. If you only have a head and a heart, you'll find that life is stable. So a head is the clarity of vision, what you want knowing what you want, the way you picture life, and being able to navigate and make the decisions to get there. That's a good head. A good heart is being able to understand what your intuition and heart wants, being able to connect and tap into that understanding deeper and beyond the vision you may have painted for yourself. So I often say to people that you'll get to where you want in life, just not in the way you imagined. And that's because the path that's paved up and down is far different to the path we pave. So you can have a great head and a great vision and a great mission and know where you want to go, but if your heart's not able to have that resilience and be able to adapt and, and have compassion and care and all of that, then, then you're not going to be able to make the toughest decisions without your heart. But to be able to realize that we need to care and be sustainable and long-lasting requires a heart. And a hand is that service wanting to pass that on, that which you have, wanting to give it forward, pay it forward. The idea of serving with what you have. I often say to people, your passion is for you, your purpose is for others. 
Your passion makes you happy. But when you use your passion to make a difference in someone else's life, that's a service, that's a purpose, mm -hmm. and that's the hand. So those are my three elements of an ideal life. So I studied behavioral science at university, so I've always been fascinated by why people do what they do. And whenever I was reading these books that are 5,000 years old, my greatest fascination was finding a principle and finding its relevance in modern science. And I said to myself, the day I can't find that, I'll quit. I won't believe in this anymore. So I'm still doing that and I'm ready to quit. If someone shows me a piece of science and I can't find a principle in these ancient literatures, or actually what I like to call these timeless literatures, then I'll give up my faith because for me, it has to track forward. And I'll give you a really basic example. Today we're in the gratitude movement. There's like a million gratitude journals out there. There's a million scientific studies on gratitude and gratitude has been linked to better mental health, self-awareness, better relationships. I mean, there's so many scientific studies on the, on the neuro level that shows that gratitude is great for your mind, brain and fulfillment. Now, I look back, like gratitude is all over the timeless wisdom. One of the first things we were trained to do when we were a monk was to pay our respects to the earth for what it gives us. And you do that first thing in the morning. What is that if not gratitude? When you wake up in the morning, you thank the earth for the food. You thank the earth for the water. You thank the earth for allowing yourself to walk. You start your day with gratitude. Today, the biggest tip on Forbes and Inc. and everything is start your day with gratitude. Like, where does it come from? It's, it's right there. These things are old. So I, I get fascinated. I'm intrigued by the parallels and patterns because it saves you time. It's the same way as which if I say that this business person got invested by this company and that's why they're successful because they had the right investors, etc. That's a pattern. So I know if I'm building a business in that area, I'm going to look for investors like that. It's the same thing, that pattern saves you time, rather than you trying to figure out, does gratitude work? How shall I be grateful? Creating your own process almost. The first answer, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the book, Thinking Fast and Slow. I don't know how, if you've read it's it. Yeah, it's a great book, because for me, it's got a really close pattern connection again to what I studied. So just understanding system one and system two, if anyone watching hasn't read it, I highly recommend it. Just being able to differentiate between system one and system two, as Daniel Kahneman calls it, in the Vedic philosophy we call differentiating between the mind and the intelligence. Knowing how to differentiate the voices in your head is the first level of self-awareness. So break down what system one and system two are. Absolutely, so system one is your initial response to anything that happens. It's, it's a stop that I can't really say. So if you say something I don't like, my system one naturally would be a face that I pull that I'm like, I don't agree with that. That's, that's the understanding of what system one is. It's your initial default reaction in the moment. That can be positive often. For example, if someone pulls out a knife, you feel scared and you run. That's system one, that's a good thing. It's, it's safe for you. But also system one is someone says something that hurts your ego and you start defending yourself immediately. That's also, that's a negative of system one. That we would refer to as the mind. It's built up of conditioning. Those responses are conditioned. Those default elements are all there because of habit and continuous practice. 
the system two is more like the intelligence what i would say is more like the parent if you can consider system one to be more like a child system two is more like a parent it looks more at the long term it looks more at the bigger picture it processes that default reaction through a set of checking and metrics to decide whether that's true the child is the the one that wants everything right away impatient quickly responding straight away uh, reacting when it doesn't get what he wants the intelligent parent a good one knows what the child wants and needs and what's better for it in the long term just starting there and being able to reflect and observe the different voices inside of us is a great place to start your self awareness because the biggest challenge is that most of us don't know what we're listening to and we don't most of us don't even know that there are more than one voice inside of us just getting over that line is a huge win because now at least you're trying to differentiate between what you're hearing and that's going to help you make better decisions in the future so that was answer 1 the biggest challenge is that there's just so much noise it's like have you ever had someone in your home maybe it's your wife or maybe it's a friend or whatever just play a really bad song too often you just play a song and you just think oh turn that off and after a while it's been on for so long that you you become immune to it like it's just there and it's still on it's there in the back of your mind and you didn't manage to turn it off so the noise that i describe in life whether it's your parents expectations whether it's society's expectations whether it's your partner's expectations all of those are like noise in the background and that noise drowns out your ability to understand the mind and the intelligence that's one of the biggest trip ups i was looking at i gave a presentation called build a life not a resume it's also one of my popular videos It's but very good video but thank you man thank you so much and when i did the research so you don't see this in the video because this research didn't make it into the video but the research that i was doing was around the most common resume lies the truth is over 40 to 50% of us lie on our resumes yeah if you don't you're missing an opportunity i'll just say that yeah there you go right so and and i started to dig deeper and i was looking at you know a lot of people lie about their dates of employment so instead of 3 days it's now 3 months you know whatever it may be now i dug deeper and i wanted to meet some of these people and speak to people and so i spoke to people who lie on their resumes and we know that at least 40 to 50% tell us they do you know the thing is no one was proud of that No one no one was like yeah 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 I know I'm going to get really what it came down to is we're really insecure about our own abilities really what it came down to is we're not confident about what we have to offer what it came down to is a lack of self awareness what it came down to is a lack of understanding what am I good at what am I passionate about what am I bringing to the table that's what people were really worried about they were worried about the job but when you dug beneath the surface the real behavioral trait that was coming out was insecurity and being unconfident about one's potential that that tells us a lot that indicates a lot about human behavior and human nature that the noise from outside makes us want to fit into a container and that stops us from differentiating between what is my mind saying and what is my intelligence saying and what happens is that noise becomes your voice so that noise becomes what you think is what you're saying and most people don't realize that until 10 20 30 years down the line we say this all the time but it applies mostly to this is switching your association is switching association to what the people that you hang, hang out with, oh, okay. right it's like changing your circle because if you're only hearing the same thing from that circle the only way to turn it off without you having to do mass amounts of reflection is changing your circle where you start hearing we all ultimately find the things we want to hear 
right? We know that. So for me, there was two questions that I had to ask myself that, that really changed what I do. One of my big questions is what advice would I give to my younger self? It's huge because I think that's the stuff that we regret. That's the stuff that we wish we were doing. That's the stuff that has been lost in the noise. When you ask someone, what advice would you give to your younger self? The number one answer is, I wish I studied this. I wish I tried this out. I wish I gave this a go. You know, those are the- All things that somebody didn't do? Yeah, it's all things that things people didn't do. It's always like something that either should have started or didn't continue. And that's really tapping into someone's voice. Right? That's really tapping into what someone really wants to do. And you're going way beyond just like, oh, what do you like? What are you passionate about? So hard to answer that sometimes, especially if you're drowning. Does that add to your questions or not? It, not no, quite? it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. But now I need to know what your answer was. So I used to be, uh, I used to do a lot of spoken word when I grew up. I read the dictionary. I read the thesaurus. I loved language. That's what I was fascinated by. And for some reason, I gave it up. Then I found out about monk life, became a monk. And then almost back 10 years on at 28, I was going, I asked myself that question and my answer was, I miss words, I miss expressiveness, I miss sharing a message and stories through incredible language and ideas, potential rhymes but flow and all of these things. So that was the answer to my question. One of the biggest answers was, I wish I never stopped. So how do I find my passion? My simple model, which is the Dharma model. It also, Dharma means eternal duty in the Vedic tradition. It's very similar to what Ikigai is being spoken about today, which is a Japanese version of reason for being. Why do we live? Where is meaning coming from? And it talks about an intersect of four areas. What am I good at? What do I love? What does the world need? And how do I get paid for it? To me, those four help you unlock your passion. When you find the intersect across all of those four, you're making your passion your purpose. You'll unlock your passion, you'll find your purpose. This is path one, there's two paths. Path one, I find my skill set and I engage it to help other people and become better at it. So I'm becoming better at what I'm good at and I'm using it to help other people because I'm aware of what I'm quite good at and I know what, what knowledge I have, what skills I have. I have some self-awareness. The other path that people often miss is actually I just start serving people. I just start helping people and I start to notice what I enjoy about that and what I'm good at helping people with. So that's Gandhi's part. Gandhi said that you find yourself when you lose yourself in the service of others. So for me, those are the two paths of how do I find my passion and finding the intersect between those four areas. Love that. And the second one is, Jay, my relationship's falling apart. I get asked that all the time. So the answer to that is much harder. <laughs> it's, it's harder to summarize it, but I always start with self-actualization that the problem is we have a list for the one that we want and we don't have a list for what we need to become. And I don't mean become to attract, I mean become to just be, to just get to understand yourself. You don't know what you need in your life until you figure out who you are. And so I find too many people rush into relationships without really recognizing and being fully aware of what they need from a relationship. So it all comes back to how aware are you? How much understanding do you have of yourself and what you need and what you want? That's my best advice for a relationship in like a minute. And, and then the third question I mostly get asked is, Jay, what do you read? Like, what are your favorite books? Because it seems you read a lot. What are your top three books? They're not groundbreaking in the sense that people may not be like, oh my God, that's the best book I've ever read. 
for me, they changed my life. So that's where I'm coming at a point from. I love Start With Why by Simon Sinek, and not because I applied it to businesses, because I applied it to my life. And even today, I'm constantly refining my why. That's all I do every day. My deepest morning routine and practice is to refine why I do what I do. It's so easy for me to now do it for money. It's so easy for me to now do it for followers. It's so easy for me to now do it for fame. And every day I have to refine that because I know having lived as a monk and what I practice that if those become what I want, then I'll forget who I need to be. So my daily practice and my daily routine is refining my intention which in modern language is why. So for me, Simon's book helped me do that. The Bhagavad Gita, which I would love to do for Vedic knowledge, what Ryan's done for Stoicism, and the Bhagavad Gita over 5,000 years old. And that book really exemplifies human challenge. Third book, I'd say this one's gonna be hard because it's the last one. Let me think. I'm gonna try to throw something else in there. So I've done one like self-development, one more spiritual enlightenment. Let me throw a business book in, seeing as I'm sure you have a lot of business viewers. I love the book Exponential Organizations. I don't know if you've read it. It's by Salim Ishmael and the Singularity University. And that book, for me, is an incredible analysis of the success of all the organizations that we see ruling our phone today. The way it breaks down their business models and how they were created to me, it's fascinating. So if anyone really wants to start up an exponential business today, then that's where they have to go. And that's when Peter Diamandis said that if you want to be a billionaire, redefining it is someone who impacts the lives of a billion people. And, and that's what that business book is really about, is how do you create an exponential organization that positively impacts a billion people? So those are my three for today. Element, environment, and energy. Everyone has an element that they thrive in. If you take someone out of it, their element, they won't be the same. A modern day example would be Michael Jordan. He was incredible at basketball. You took him out of basketball, put him into baseball, no one remembers his career. We're talking about one of the best athletes of all time. Your environment is the environment around you. You can take a fish out of water and give it a beautiful mansion and a Bentley and all the money in the world, but it will die. And that's what we are, like our environment. Everyone needs an environment which they thrive, which we have to craft. Your boss, if you're at work, is never going to ask you, hey, what, what environment do you succeed in, right? Like, that never happens. So we have to create an environment where we thrive. And then finally, it's energy. We, some of us love high energy environments, high pressure. Some of us succeed in low energy environments and low pressure. Figuring out your energy and the frequency on which you operate best will help you thrive as well. So for me, those are the three E's to really create a thriving environment. Know your element, know your environment, and know your energy. And so at all times, if I see anything going wrong, I'm going, is my element out of alignment? Is my environment out of alignment? Or is my energy out of alignment? And that's a great three question test you can do to yourself when you don't think things are going right. And all you have to do is bring that back into alignment. I love that. All right, so, what's the impact that you want to have on the world? I think you've, you've, you've said it so beautifully so many times and shared my vision, which is wonderful. And it's wonderful to know that we, we share the same thing. It's making wisdom go viral. There's an incredible study in 2017 that said the most successful people in the world 
healthy, wealthy, and wise, choose education over entertainment. The impact I want to have on the world is I want to transform and revolutionize the entertainment industry so that it becomes educational without anyone knowing. So it's still completely entertaining. It's still like watching Netflix, but you're learning about human behavior, the mind, neuroscience, and everything without even knowing you are. To me, that's the greatest win that we can have for our society. How many people are going to quit watching Netflix and reading a book every night? I don't know. But if we can make that book come to life on Netflix, that's going to change the world because that's what people are going to consume. So for so long, media has been used to numb people, to, to switch people off. If we can use it to excite, elevate, enlighten people, not by just, not by like the cheesy way of like, oh, let's follow someone through their journey of enlightenment. It's not like that kind of stuff. I mean like really entertaining programming where you can learn by being entertained at the same time. If I can do that by changing the, the most powerful industry in the world, then I will feel that I've had some, some what of an impact. Because that way I think we'll reach the world without having to get everyone to change their habits too much. Uh, my, my thing is how do we meet people where they are and, and really deliver a message and a powerful expression of love. And to me, that's the highest form of compassion. The highest form of empathy, love and compassion is to meet people where they already are rather than expecting them to change. And yeah, that's the impact I'd like to have on the world. So fingers crossed, with your help, with the help of everyone who's watching, you know, it's going to be a team effort. I can't do it on my own, I'm not expecting to. But yeah, that's, that's the impact I'd like to have on the world. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history, great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist. I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. My website is alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com and my subreddit is reddit.com forward slash r forward slash alphamalebuddhist. That's my subreddit where you can comment and interact with other listeners. And it's a great forum to sit and have an open dialogue. So, again, thank you for listening and namaste.